I know it's the middle of the week, but I hope you're blessed by the worship in Scripture now. We've made it to 2 Samuel chapter 2. And just in case you haven't been here lately, or you just need a little refresher, let me set the scene for you. 2 Samuel chapter 2. David is still down living amongst the enemy, the Philistines. He's still down in a city called Ziklag, where he's been since 1 Samuel chapter 27, where he decided to run outside of the nation of Israel into enemy territory to take refuge from Saul persecuting him, right? That's where he's at right now. And that's where he was when he got the news last week that Saul and his three sons, including Jonathan, David's best friend, had just been killed in battle. So Saul is dead. Saul has been hounding David for at least a decade, right? And the first thing David does, he doesn't sing a song like, ding dong, the wicked witch is dead, right? He doesn't pen a song like that. If you remember, he sits down and writes a sad song, a lamenting song that he wants everybody in Judah to learn. And it's a powerful and beautiful and touching song that extols Saul and Jonathan, that elevates them, that honors them. What a response. David, if you were here last week, you saw that. He chose to see Saul and Jonathan, of course, not in the light of their weakness, but as men that were used by God and that as children of God. Awesome response. Not the response I would have been, but David, now still in Ziklag, we pick it up in chapter two, after getting that news and writing a song honoring his dead persecutor Saul and his dead best friend Jonathan in battle, picks it up. It says this in verse one, after this, after what I just told you, <laughs> okay? After writing the song and finding out that Saul was dead, what's the first thing David does? He inquires of the Lord. Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And God said, to Hebron. So there's so much to like about David, right? <laughs> The first thing David does after all of this news, he's finally free to live out his destiny. He'd already been anointed by God some 10 or 15 years earlier. You would think he would just go up and take possession. But the first thing he does, and those are awesome words, after this, David asks of the Lord. He inquires of the Lord. Where shall I go? What shall I do? David assumes nothing. Assumes nothing. Yet he has an attitude that he wants to be right in the middle of God's plans. 
he's not praying and asking for God to endorse his plan. See, that's the way we pray sometimes, right? You make a plan, and then you pray to ask God to endorse it, which isn't bad, I guess, but it's not best. The best way is ask the Lord what you should do. Open-ended. Don't lead. Man, every culture of every time has the same saying, a different, little different way, but it says this, man plans and God laughs, <laughs> right? See, that's the idea. I mean, I pray like that. Maybe you pray like this. I used to pray like, I, I think having kids cured me of this. I used to always, I had their life worked out when they were little. Those little heathens, I had it all worked out. I knew these little people and I had this plan and Whoa, I used to pray, make, Lord, have this happen, and this, and this, and this. And you and I found out that God has his own plans for my boys. And my boys have their own plans for themselves, right? And it isn't always dad's plan. A much better way to ask is, hey, Lord, give them what they need to be closer to you. May they be willing, would they be living in your will? Not my will for them. I love the way David simply asked the Lord what to do. Man, that would have been an easy plan to make. I'm going up and taking, hey, Saul's dead. It's my turn, right? It's my turn. That's not what he did. He asked. He wanted to be right in the middle of God's plans. He continues to look to God. And it's one of the most noble things it's one of the proofs he's after God's heart. David, it's so much to be admired that he's continuing to look to God. You see, he knew his son's words before they were penned. Solomon's words in Proverbs chapter 3, right? <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, right? But in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He knew those words before they were penned. David knew the Apostle James's words hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, right? In James chapter 1, verse 5, any of you who lack wisdom, ask for it. Ask for it because God will give it liberally without reproach. Sometimes we don't know what to do because we're not even asking. And I think it's super inspiring for me in the first verse of this chapter that the first thing he does is he, he asks, and I think it's at least part of David's key to success. He wants to be right in the middle of where God wants him. And I ask you, how about us? It's very, there's a couple of ways to look at David's life. A lot of people can look at him as a type or a picture of Jesus Christ, and it would be good to do that. Jesus himself made the same analogy in the Gospels, but there's another way to look at David. It's my favorite way to look at all the Old Testament saints is with a mirror. He's a man, David, yet he chose to look to the Lord to empower him. You see, spiritual maturity isn't in the ability to be able to come boldly through the throne of grace, right? To ask for our help and get it. To have the confidence, okay? To know in 1 John, have the confidence to know that if we ask according to his will, he will answer us. He hears us. 
It's not knowing that. We all have that same ability as Christians. It's, it's the willingness. It's the desire. And it's the effort to actually ask him on a daily, on a momentary basis. I can't believe how ashamed I am of myself, how little I actually inquire of the Lord. Am I just speaking to myself up here tonight? Or do some of you feel the same way? Amen. My wife is driving me crazy lately in a good way because she prays a lot more than I do. And every, lately, I, we're building a house. So I'm living in an RV and I, I can't find anything. Like, where's my keys? Where's my wallet? Where's my shirt? Where's my, it's all spread out all over everywhere. And she said, well, I'm just going to have to pray for you that you'd find that. Or why don't you just pray? I'm telling you, I got to be honest with you, it slightly annoys me just a little bit. The most annoying part is I usually find it and then I tell her I find it. It's because I prayed. <laughs> She's so sweet that way. She's like, why don't you just pray about it? I'm like, do you really think God cares where I left my keys? I want my keys. I think he cares where you left your keys. I think he cares about the heart behind that you ask for what you need as little and as big as you want. Because here's the question. With an eternal God, do you think anything's too big for God? Then how could anything be too small, <laughs> right? He's our father, and he wants us to ask him. Amen? It's the first thing David did, and I love it. Let's continue in verse 2. What does he do next? He asks, he, he asks him, where do, where do I go? He says, go to Hebron. He answered him. First John chapter five, have the confidence. If you ask, he'll hear you. Go up, he says. So David went up there, verse two, with his two wives, Anom of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household. And they lived in the town of Hebron. And the men of Judah came to David and he anointed David over the house of Judah. So David said, okay, God, I'm going to get out of enemy territory. I'm going to head a little bit further north to Hebron in the tribe of Judah. So the king who God anointed 15 years earlier, maybe 18 years earlier, now is walking with all his people and his wives up into the whole of Israel, but the southern tribe called Judah, and the only tribe who endorses him and comes to him to endorse him and recognize him as God's anointed, as the king, is the tribe of Judah. Eerily, just one tribe. The rest of them, we'll see, have a different plan for a different king. But Judah comes to him, the man, the men of, of, of Hebron come to him, the elders, and they recognized him. You are our king. We believe God has anointed you for that. God's anointing came, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now men's anointing, they recognized him, but we're starting to see a little bit of division in this divided, we'll see a divided house here of Israel. Judah's the only one that endorses him. Let's check it out. When they told David, it was the men of Gabash Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Gabash Gilead and said to them, 
May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant for Saul, your Lord, is dead. And the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So David blesses Gilead because they were the ones when Saul and his sons died, gave him a proper burial. They honored him. They went and got him. Now, David, of course, we know, honors Saul, so he liked that. But in a way, Saul was reaching out with an olive branch to some of the other tribes. These guys weren't in Judah. Jabesh Gilead was north of the Mason-Dixon line, you could say, right? The other tribes who didn't endorse him, they're part of that. But he sent message to the people who treated Saul kindly, and said, God bless you. I will protect you. I am the king of Judah. I can be the same for you. But I believe unification of the north and south obviously will come a little bit later. There's other plans behind the scene being worked out in those northern tribes. And we'll see it here in verse 8. So far, we have David anointed king of Judah. Now we're going to see the king of Israel being anointed, and his name is Ishbosheth. Verse 8 But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mananiham. <laughs> and he made him king over Gilead, and of the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim. And Benjamin and all the rest of Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron was over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So you have Israel cracked in two. All the rest of the tribes being propped up by Abner, the son of Ner, right? Saul's cousin, wanted to keep Saul's lineage in power. So evidently, <laughs> evidently, Saul had four sons. And really, this is the only time he's mentioned is in this time period. His name literally means shameful man. So a lot of people think that's was he an illegitimate son? I don't know. Not a super powerful, not a super important man in the Bible, except right here, because he's connected to Saul. Abner, the commander of the army, props him up like a puppet, right? So he could have power behind him. I believe that's what's happening here. Abner, Saul's cousin, David was very familiar with him. We should be very familiar with him. Remember, he's, he's in charge of all the fighting men. Remember all those guys that were chasing David in the wilderness all those years? Abner was the commander of those fighting men. Hard army man. Tough guy. How do you think it would have ended for, well, how do you think Abner thought it would end if David took power of the whole country? 
I don't know. I think maybe, maybe self-preservation took over and Saul said, we got to keep somebody in Saul's lineage in power. I've got to continue to maintain my power. I'm probably not well thought of because I'm the guy that was trying to kill David all these years, right? I think that's what happened. It'd be like a country setting up someone that really didn't have any leadership skills, wasn't very dynamic, wasn't really super talented as far as a leader goes, right? But that someone else, he, he, he was okay letting someone else run his show for him. I know we don't know any countries like that, but if there was one, it would, it would be kind of like this, okay? He's a puppet leader with Abner probably running the show behind him with a man with a nickname who literally means shameful as the figurehead. Happens all the time, right? So that's what we have. We have Ishbosheth made the king, made, made the king by Abner, self-appointed, right? Just put him right up there, ruling all of Israel except Judah, which David's in charge of. So you have a divided kingdom at this point. Right? And it goes like this for a long time. Most of this book will be like that. It'll come to head sooner or later, but right now that's what we have. And then the rest of this chapter is, isn't really a civil war, but it's the start of the civil war. It's like a civil battle. It's called the Battle of Gibeon. And these two leaders, okay, Ishbosheth, Abner, <laughs> and David are going to meet. And they're going to rumble. They're going to say, hey, what's going on? Who's, who's in power now? The king's dead. What's going on? Who, who, it's, a, it's a power move. Check it out. It starts in verse 12. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahaniam to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servant of David, went out to meet at the pool of Gibeon. So, the leaders of the army, the captains of the fighting men, brought their men and their leaders representing these two kingdoms. Joab, which was one of David's nephews, right, came up to this pool, right, just north of the Mason-Dixon line again, right there in Gibeon. And then representing Ishbosheth was Abner and his men. And they came down, each on the side of this pool, 30 feet wide, 40 feet wide, on each side, separated by water. That's where we're at. It says, and they sat down the one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, the two leaders of these fighting guys said, let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth and the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And each caught his opponents by the head and thrust his sword in the opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Hilkath Hazurium, which really just means field of sharp swords. <laughs> which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten 
before the servants of David. So Abner, like I said, Abner and Joab face off. And instead of just, maybe, maybe, this is my theory, the, uh, Abner came down to maybe try to broker a peace deal. And they're sitting on either side. And they decide, the two leaders, that you take 12 of your best, and I'll take 12 of my best, and whoever wins will take control. Let the young men compete before us. And I don't know what happens there. It said that they grabbed each other by the head, and each one killed each other. 24 people dead. So hand-to-hand combat, no, no, no shields. That's how they fought. Shield, sword. You're not grabbing someone with a shield. So they said, hand-to-hand combat, winner takes all. They competed. And it was a tie. It was a bloodbath. In the field of sharp swords, they killed each other. They all killed each other. They grabbed each other by the head. They were wrestling around. Each person died by the sword. And so then it was on, right? It spurned a battle. And both sides went after it. And it says that Abner's men of Israel were beaten badly before the servants of David. They got routed. Some of those details are the last part of this chapter. But is that weird or what? I used to have this wrestling coach when I first started wrestling in high school. It was kind of, well, he's awesome. One of my favorite guys. But he was a little bit of a hippie. He grew up in the 60s and 70s. He was awesome, though. He's an Olympian. And he was very no war and, and no one likes war, but he was, he was a peace guy, okay? And he used to always say this. He said, I wish countries would just send a wrestling team out and whoever wins gets to win the battle so no one dies. We just wrestle each other. That's a, and I, I, I thought of that when I thought about this. These guys are like just messing. Hey, let's, let's let these guys hash it out. Whoever wins, we can save some men. And Very weird to me. They all killed each other, spawned a little battle. And the details of this battle are awesome. And I don't know if, you, um, if you've read this story before, but it's a little weird. Let me read it, 18. And the three sons of Zeruah were there. And you may remember these names, Joab, Abishai, and Asiel. So Zeruah was David's sister. So these are his nephews. And we've already talked about Joab. He's the leader of the army. And these other two guys, do you remember Abishai? Anybody remember him? Chapter 26, 1 Samuel. Do you remember when David had a chance, his second chance to kill Saul? Do you remember this? When he was sleeping, encircled right by Abner. Remember, David's like, hey, let's go check it out. Who's going with me? Remember who it was? Abishai. I was like, I'll go. And they went down there. They snuck in there. Remember, they took his water bottle and his spear and then went across and was talking trash to Abner. Hey, look at Abner. Look what we got. Saul, we could have killed you. Abishai, that nephew is a guy I'd want on my side. Him and David, pretty valiant. So that's Abishai. Joab's the leader of all of the army. But we haven't heard much of Asiel. Now listen to this description of Asiel. Now Asiel was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. He was fast, athletic. And Asiel pursued Abner in the heat of the battle, right? He sees Abner, I'm getting him. 
and he runs. He says, and as he went, he neither turned to the right nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner, running away from him, looked behind him and said, is that you, Asiel? And he answers, it is I. And Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or onto your left and seize one of these young mans and take his spoil. But Asiel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again, Asiel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then can I lift up my face to your brother Joab? So you have the scene, fast as a gazelle, gaining on Abner as he's running away. He keeps looking back and saying, Asiel, is that you? You know, you got to remember, this is a civil war. These guys know each other. Asiel, stop it. Grab one of these young guys. Take his spoil. Beat him up. Kill him. I don't care. Leave me alone. I can't kill you, Asiel. How could I face your brother? It's not an honorable thing. Asiel said, no. Man, I'm coming after you. They don't call me gazelle for no reason. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to catch you, and I'm going to kill you. But you check it out. It says here, but Asiel refused to turn aside. Verse 23. Therefore, Abner turned and struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out of his back. It's a lot of velocity in Asiel's running ability to run a spear through you from the butt side. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asiel had fallen and died stood still. So in all this mayhem, all you got Asiel chasing him, everybody else is fighting, he's beating in on Abner, Abner's running, refuses to relent and, and stop chasing him, so Abner turns and kills him, and everything just halted. He said everybody was still, and they just looked at, Asiel's dead. He's one of the, he's one of David's nephews. This is bad. And I think you could probably imagine killing the gazelle boy, what his two brothers probably wanted to do to Abner at that point, right? Abishai and Joab. Yeah, you got it. Verse 24, but Joab and Abishai then pursued Abner. You just killed my brother. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Ammon, which lies before Gaia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on top of the hill. So the two brothers and the rest of Judah rout this army that they had just, I'll show you the numbers in a minute, but they had just decimated. And they're routing them. Everybody's in retreat, right? And as they're chasing him, Abner kills David's nephew and they all stand still, and then they say, for a second, and then they say, let's get him. And they all, as, as sun's going down, they're chasing him, and all of the rest of Israel with Abner make their stand on this hill, and there you are. They're ready. Are, what are we going to, are we going to get him? And this is what Abner calls out and says when he takes his last stand with his men and Joab and Abishai, wanting revenge from their brother. This is what he says to them. Then Abner calls to Joab, 
Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely this, these men would not have given you up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight anymore. So there's a ceasefire. Right at the moment when they're about ready to finish this thing and get their revenge, Abner calls out to Joab, the two leaders, and says, hey, truth, you know this is going to be bitter if you kill me. You know this is going to be bad. When, when are we going to stop? It's got to stop somewhere. And for some reason, Joab agrees. He calls his men off. He blows the trumpet and they all stop fighting. They're done. Joab let Abner go, but he did not let him go in his heart, as we will see in future chapters. He wanted revenge for his brother, but in this time, he said, okay, let's stop. It's dark. <laughs> We've enough bloodshed for today. But he made note of Abner, and as we'll see in future weeks, he's going to get his revenge. His heart is black with revenge. He wants his vengeance, but he lets him go, and there's a ceasefire, but not a ceasefire in his heart. And this is how this chapter finishes. And Abner and his men went all that night through to Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there was missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asiel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. And they took Asiel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them when they reached Hebron. So what a battle. They all marched all day and all night to get back home. As morning broke, they came home and they took account. David's, via Joab, lost 20 people, 19 plus Asiel. Saul's family, Ishbeth, <laughs> Abner, Abner's army lost 360. 360 men. That's a butt whooping, right? But this battle is just a battle. The war is coming. There's a long war in the house of Israel as it's divided, as we'll see it play out in this chapter. But as chapter three starts, it says that David's house is going to grow stronger and stronger and stronger, and Abner's going to grow weaker and weaker and weaker. So Judah's going to have its vengeance. Kind of a strange story, don't you think? Hard to make sense of. It's a civil war. It tells you what happens when a nation divides. A lot of countries have history of civil wars. 
Israel had theirs. It's a divided house. It's not God's plan. We'll see. It'll be rectified soon enough. But the things I take from this chapter, of course, at the beginning, it's David. It's David asking, inquiring, is this your plan for me? Is now the time for your anointing and my destiny to be realized? And he's got to be patient a little bit longer as this plays itself out in this chapter. Amen. Amen. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these people. I pray today as we go on our way that we'd be blessed because your people were together, fellowshipping around you and your word. So be with us. Be glorified and honored in our lives as you are in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great evening, guys.